Okay, I'll just get going. Hello and welcome to Required Reading, the podcast that revisits the most impactful books from our childhood. I'm your host, Erin Bowles. I'm a writer, actor, and hula hoop champion. Our guest today is my dear friend, my pseudo-sibling, Brandon Junchero. He is a Florida man who escaped Florida, a geeky writer at heart, and is currently an associate producer at All In Film with a few unannounced little films coming out in the next year. Hi, Brandon. Hello, Erin. Hula hoop champion? Yes. So I... I'm trying to like do a fun little thing of like writer, actor, blah, blah, blah. and I was thinking like, what is this one? What is this one? And because like the book has a summer camp, I decided we'll do when I briefed two years in a row, briefly went to a Quaker Harry Potter camp. Yeah. And I was hula hoop champion one summer. They didn't do it the other summer. It's not like I got beat. Oh, um, you're undefeated. I am undefeated. The one time it happened. Yes. Our book today is The Lightning Thief by Rick Riordan from 2005. 2005, setting scene. YouTube is launched. China ratifies an anti-secession law aimed at preventing Taiwan from declaring independence. Charles, the current King of England but former Prince of Wales, marries Camilla Parker Bowles. Hurricane Katrina kills over a thousand people. The Xbox 360 is released. And top films include Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, Harry Potter Goblet of Fire, War of the Worlds, Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Wedding Crashers. It was a stacked year. Luck going on. So Rick Riordan is from Texas. He was a teacher for 15 years, teaching English and social studies. And when he was in college, he worked three years as a music director at a summer camp. He almost every year taught mythology and always loved it. Noticed like students were really responsive to it. He wrote a series of like adult mystery novels when he was a teacher and conceived of the idea for this book as bedtime stories. His firstborn son, Haley, who was diagnosed with ADHD and dyslexia, which I thought was really nice. Like if you don't see a representation you want. Let's make it up. Oh, 100%. Like what, yeah. What is your story with this book? How did this oh enter your gosh. life? So I also looked up what year it came out, but I would have told you it was like 2007, 2008. I was a wee lad in 2005. Yeah. I was what, like seven, eight, maybe. I definitely didn't start reading this until middle school. Mm-hmm. Um, but this book for me, I 100% have ADHD. And that's probably going to come, <laughs> come across in this podcast. But like... The idea of like, oh, you know, you're, you're ADHD, you can't focus, like everything feels like slightly off. Maybe you have a bigger calling. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you're a demigod. Maybe there's like a whole group of people out there who you can relate to and they're they're all, you know, relating over the same thing. That like really stuck out to me growing up and I love the history. So like the Greek mythology aspect pulled me in and I, you know still read all the books as they are still coming out with new ones but yeah that's how i first got into it i think sixth grade year it was like one of the options for required reading and i'm like ah oh, this doesn't sound bad yeah, required yeah. reading um <laughs> but ooh, shout out yeah to me it really was that it created a fun environment to where like as an outsider myself for a lot of time growing up it felt like this was my niche like these were my people and you really put yourself into that yeah I really liked in the first page, they set up the direct address of like, you think it's fiction, but it's reality. You might be one of us. I think like that's the appeal of other series at this time, like Harry Potter and things like that. And I like that he fully went into it. Like it's not even subtext. It is the text of this is where you might be. Um, yeah. I mean, in the the opening line is, look, I didn't want to be a half blood. And to <laughs> me, like that has always stuck with me for years and years and years. 
of he's addressing you like, look, I don't want to live this life. This is just who I am. Yeah. These are all the things I go through, and you're reading basically my diary, my interpretation of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny you mentioned Harry Potter, and I'm sure this will come up later when we talk about the camp itself. Well, as much as I was into Harry Potter, I know my house. Mm-hmm. Figuring out which god was your godly parent was my Harry Potter sorting house. Ooh, like, yeah. that was 100%. Uh, I mean... We'll get into it more probably when we get to the camp, but have you thought about who your godly parent would be? I had not until just now. I know, like, I'm feeling like Artemis, like, Hestia, okay. especially because I always want to be like, who Who are we talking about the least? That's got to be my favorite. <laughs> like, there you go. <laughs> what were your answers, though? So, you know, growing up, you're always mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah, I'm Poseidon. And yeah. Especially, like, being a Florida boy, like, I would go to the beach all the time but for a while i'm like oh it's probably you know like apollo performing and just being super like charismatic just like in love talking to people now that i'm older because i still think about this it definitely probably would be like hermes mm-hmm. um you know jack of all trades master of none wander kind of take anyone they can under their wing you know because that's the whole thing with the hermes cabin is they have everyone come in there and they're all right. like welcome and i'm like that probably would be my parent so like that that is who I relate to. And I did have a, a blog growing up. Um, <laughs> Percy Jackson on Tumblr named after the Stoll brothers who are two prominent uh, Hermes kids. Oh. Yeah. Wanted to ask this. Like, I know the series branches off a lot and, and is still going. I know they get into like Egyptian gods. Do they, do they get into any other pantheons? I was so... really interested in this whole idea of like the West. And that was really interesting. So Rick Riordan, uh, Uncle Rick, as a lot of people call him, he, like you said, wrote this first series because he used to do like mythology specifically. He knows a lot about Greek and Roman and Norse, but he did this because his son was really into Greek mythology. While this series was coming out, he did the Cain Chronicles, which is about Egyptian mythology. And then following the Percy Jackson Olympian series, he did the Heroes of Olympus series which was about the the Romans and the Greeks kind of, you know, coming head to head and like that transition of like, well, if the gods were real there, you know, different personas, right? Zeus is also Jupiter, <laughs> stuff like that. He has a whole series, I believe that you can call it, called uh, like Rick Riordan Presents. And he teams up with other writers who know more about different backgrounds, ideologies. So they write about realistic stories within their mythology. Um, which, yeah, it seems super appealing to me solely because like, you know, I don't know about every mythology. I couldn't write about all of them. Could I write about Greek? Maybe a little bit, not as good as others, but like there's one about Chinese mythology that's still on my list. And I'm like, I would have no idea where to go with that. But you know, it's cool seeing these other stories told, but he himself has written Greek, Roman, uh, Egyptian, and Norse. Those feel like the big three. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely the big ones. Well, yeah. So we we talked about how it opens up with, I didn't want to be a half blood. And first off, did you notice how the chapter titles like? I know it's like directed, like it's a YA novel, mm-hmm. but all the chapter titles are amazing. All of yeah. them. Hold on, I have my copy right here. Yeah. The very first title is I accidentally vaporized my pre-algebra teacher. Mm-hmm. Like, oh yeah, it, he's very good at the hook. The whole thing really grabs you. I agree entirely. The first hook of like, oh, what's it mean to be a half-blood of? He gets rid of Mrs. Dodds and, you know, oh, what what does this mean? No one remembers her now. Everything. Mom vanishing. Like, oh, what's this quest? It, every chapter, he does a very good job of leaving you on a cliffhanger, even if it's a little one. So props it's, to Rick yeah. for that. 
it's got a real momentum to it. Absolutely. Hundred percent. I think that one thing he does very well is he creates like one of the perfect like road trip sort of stories. Yes. Because mm -hmm. I mean, you know, we both write both like film and TV, but I feel like it kind of hits every point you need for like a film road trip to where you have a quest, right? He goes mm -hmm. on the quest, obstacle overcome, obstacle overcome, and they kind of you know they keep getting the, the stakes raised every time. He has a ticking clock. It's amazing. I mm -hmm. I think that's why this book kind of holds the test of time and why you know it's had so many different uh series spin off of it, adaptations still coming out this year, you know. So mm, yeah, what did you think? Because this was your first read through, right? Yeah, I. I was underwhelmed by it. I think it was like whatever book I read for this episode was going to have a hard time because the one I did before this was the entire Hunger Games series, which I adore. I was like, the life changing. Series? I had two guests for that episode. We recorded for an hour and a half. And then we were like, yeah, this it has to be 10 more episodes. New book club happening. And so that is going to just keep happening until we have nothing left to say. But um. I like really, really loved those books. I like resonated with Katniss in a way that I didn't expect. So I think this book was just like set up for failure. I should have done oh. like, the next book is Bridge to Terabithia, which I did read when I was young. And I remember really not liking, I should have flipped them. Um, <laughs> I also think this, it just felt very reminiscent of Harry Potter for me. I think like, yeah in in a lot of ways and I think that frustrated me I think I was really frustrated with the character of Annabeth I think because to me she just read like she read as like a nag and a know-it-all and girls mess up all the fun and I think I just got to this point of like and, and I think it exists in a lot of the literature in the series at the time is like girls aren't allowed to be silly and I don't think we like interrogate why girls are so hung up on like consequences and like following rules and like I think like in the same way Hermione functions is like guys this fun thing is gonna whoop our ass in a month and like it's not gonna be fun <laughs> and I think I just like I think I felt so like as an Annabeth and then being like that this is like there is more to us than this I think was the thing I could see really, really to Annabeth. Not in like the negative aspects that we just talked about, but like as the character grows throughout the series, yeah. I could see you really mm -hmm. res uh, resonating with her. Yeah, I think there are a lot of good points, especially for the first book for her, because mm -hmm. um, Annabeth starts out with a. I mean, especially when she first meets Percy, of like, mm -hmm. I I am using you to like go on this quest because this is what I want to do. This is what I want to achieve. I want to prove myself, mm -hmm. and I think that. All because what she's been there five years at Camp Half Blood, yeah, mm -hmm. and she basically they're they're twelve now, so she was I think seven, seven. when she gets picked up, yeah, which is super yeah. young for a half blood. Yeah, um, has two role models of Luke and Talia. Sees Talia die in front of her, get turned into a tree, and then like never gets a chance to like mm -hmm. truly prove herself to try and like say you know she she wants to make her mom proud. She wants to make. The other campers, you know, respect her more. I mean, she is super respected because she's been there for so long. But I think the first book of her just being a full timer at camp mm -hmm. really has more of that negative side to her. Yeah. And she does, you know, they do open up a bit and they do like connect a bit more. 
and some of those walls come down. But I think that's a fair criticism that the first book, Annabeth, is largely very to the point of we need to do this. This mm -hmm. is a ticking clock. But I think she's had a lot of trauma to to yeah, warn. Oh, absolutely. She uh, is definitely like set up to be the person who like all of it makes sense for yeah. her backstory and like has clearly your heart really breaks for her like she cannot catch a, a break no not at um, all and it definitely the, the book in a whole feels like it very much feels like a first book like you yeah. can tell how much more is to come yeah yeah this was a good adventure um yeah and it's one piece of the puzzle right definitely. okay so First time reading it, though. Fair criticism for Annabeth. What did you think about the relationship between, like, the gods and the children? Like, how? okay, so for Percy Jackson, th this is the first time you've indulged in any of the media for it? Or did you see the movie back in the day or the musical that came out a few years back? So I don't think I knew that there was a musical. It feels, like, vaguely familiar that that happened, but I don't think I knew that. I... I think my only um, experience with it is one time, I think when I was home visiting my parents in college, I like walked in and they were watching the second one. It was pretty early on in the second one. And I was like, that is Giles attached to a horse. And I was like, I can't stay for this guy. I gotta leave the room. What the fuck? And I think that's all I had. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, even that being all you have, you're not wrong. It, yeah. you, good job leaving that. <laughs> and um, like, Anthony Stewart had, I know Pierce Brosnan did it in the first movie. Anthony Stewart had, love that guy. And like that character almost like very Giles in terms of like wanting, how much, how familiar are you with Buffy? You're not going to like this answer. None. That's okay. That means uh, you have a great I, journey ahead I saw of you. the movie. For Buffy. Oh, buddy. I know. Oh, I know. This is terrible. <laughs> Not a good primer for you. I know. Um, that's why. And I didn't even like, I got sat down and people were like, you have to watch this. So I was like, oh, I hear people talk about Buffy all the time. Yeah, no, it was not a good uh, opening. Yeah, especially like it's been a long time since I've seen the movie and I only saw it once. The tones from what I remember very different like the most memorable part of that movie is Paul Rubens's death that just keeps happening. Yeah. And like the TV show is hilarious, but that it's a very different style of comedy. It's very yeah, like, I believe you. It was yeah. uh, the movie was something, but yeah. <laughs> but Anthony Sturdhead is a phenomenal actor. Like I really, it's weird how much like the genesis of my career is because of him. I grew up watching Buffy, you know, since birth, and I remember looking at the TV guide when I was like in sixth grade uh, that came with the Washington Post, and on the cover it was a poster for Merlin. It's one season on NBC, and I was like, "That's Giles in the back." Weird. I have to watch this. I watched it. I watched it when it got kicked to Sci-Fi. I watched it pirated and like ten minute chunks on YouTube, and that was the show that I remember watching one of the first episodes and they had this shot of Anthony Stewart head like walking in and it was um shot from the ground looking up and I was like oh this is like establishing character this is like establishing that like he has power and like we are smaller and, I, and that was the moment I was like oh people make tv like this is a job I could do so love to that man <laughs> really love to that man <laughs> just not the not the second movie okay so but Besides that little bit, this was your first. Um, yeah. Okay, so 
one of the things that always stuck out to me a lot within this book, and then it gets expanded upon, especially within the first five book series, is the relationship between like the gods and their kids. Mm-hmm. How like yeah. Hermes cabin is so full because like some of the gods don't claim them. It feels a lot of those kids, and there's a whole musical number about it in the in the musical at the campfire song, how like, you know, the gods don't care about them. Yeah. You know, like they they sire their kids and then they're like, all right, well, you have to fight our wars. Exactly. Go do that. And you're just expected to do it. And I think it, I don't want to jump to the very end of the book, but, you know, certain characters, I mean, we talk about Luke, mm-hmm. uh, you know, holds that resentment of like his yeah. father not caring about him and like none of the gods caring about him. And I think yeah. that was one of the realest motivations for a villain in a long time where I go, I see where he's coming from. Yeah. The gods basically put you on the earth to do their bidding. And then they're like, all right. I think that like noticing throughout a lot of different series, like Hunger Games, Harry Potter, this one, it's all about like children are pawns of the adults and have to live through the consequences that adults make, which is very like climate change and like school, like very, very relatable and prescient. And I was thinking about it a lot. I don't know as much about the book series and franchises and things that came before us just because like we weren't around to see Why? the zeitgeist yeah. <laughs> as it was. But at the same time, I was thinking like, these are all kind of like passive protagonists because things are happening to them. And I think like, I was thinking of us as writers, as like kids going to school, learning how to write. And I was like, well, a fucking course, we're all coming up with passive protagonists because like that is the story model we've been given. But I think also like, like that's true to what childhood feels like it's things happening to you and you having to react I think like it's okay to have a passive protagonist if they're a child like that's how the world works when you're a child I think that was something that kept really striking me throughout these books is like these are 12 year olds these are young babies yeah I mean they they talk about it a bit when they first go to camp too but it's like oh you know Annabeth saw Talia get turned into a tree in front of her they're like oh you know a lot of them, if they make up the hill, generally they make it alive. It's mm-hmm. like, how many like how yeah. many die? And like we don't witness any of them dying per se in this book. But like in this grandiose series as a whole, yeah, you know, there's some battles in there like, yeah, you mm-hmm. like that character? Kind of gone yeah. now. And it's like, oh shit. Like you you kind of forget that these are twelve to yeah. like really seventeen is like the oldest. It's... Yeah, there's some like really startling moments of adulthood that I noticed, like clocking the, I think like the actual text is like that Aphrodite and Ares are just like making out, but like Rick Riordan is writing like these people are fucking in an abandoned carousel with mirrors everywhere. And it was like, that's a lot, Rick. And I was looking, going through my notes before this, it's a throwaway line, but they're like, Aries's motorcycle has human skin as the yes. leather on it. Yeah. Um, and they even like Percy reflects on it. But by the end, he's just like, Krusty, gotta die. Sorry, murder. Like, that's how it's gotta be at this point. <laughs> Here we go. And kind of I, I think that was like startling, but in the same moment of like the character is aware of it. Like we we are dealing with those ramifications as we go, which I respected. Yeah. It rides that line in a way that feels very accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially earlier in the book when he was like, 
fighting Mrs. Dodds, fighting the Minotaur. It's very like, uh, I will do my best to get away. All right, I can't self-defense sort or of thing. Mm -hmm. And when he knows, he's like, I have to battle Ares because he's going to stop us. He's like, all right, I will do Yeah. this fight. Like, I walk into a knowing. I feel like that's really a lot of growth within the character. Mm -hmm. For a 12-year-old. Yeah, for a <laughs> 12-year-old. Yeah. ah. I always, maybe it's because, like, I have a bigger connection to my mother, but I love his mother in this, Sally Jackson. My note says Sally Jackson, greatest mother of all time. Oh my god. Oh, yeah. Reading it as an adult, you know their, her relationship with Gabe is probably physically abusive, like certainly emotionally abusive. 100%. And when that reveal comes, when Percy realizes that he is physically abusive, that is, I think, like, the hardest moment of the book emotionally to go through and it is like the least fantastical the most normal of of all of the events And... It's that realization, if I remember right, that comes near the end of the book where mm -hmm. he really, yeah, yeah that's after he realizes that, oh, she is only with him to cover my small as a half-blood to make it so that like I can live with her a little bit because she's worried about my safety. It's not even anything to do with her. There's a lot of parallels to that with like, you know, you could say people staying in abuse relationships for whatever reason. And like, I think there is a lot of poetic justice to, uh, Yeah. Oh, fuck I think yeah. you gave at the end of it, but He gets what he deserves. That's a fucking lootly. It should have happened earlier. Yeah. He just didn't have a chance. He didn't Yeah. have a chance till the end. It happens when it happens. I, I think that's also like just a lesson of adulthood is like it didn't happen when it should have, but it happened and we have to move on from that, you know? Yeah. Them's the breaks, I guess. Yeah. So reading this for the first time as an adult, did some of the twists and turns, did you see it coming? So I like. 100% saw Luke being the villain 100% yeah but I think it's because like he does not fit like he is the exception he's like the child of Hermes but he's like very good at fighting which is not like a Hermes thing he's like I think it was also my knowing this like generally knowing the series like I know Annabeth is a character I like know Grover is a big character Yeah. throughout and it's like I don't know about this guy it's probably really why Yeah. The character of Grover is very interesting to me in that, like, you are setting up a trio, and yet one of them is not really a child. They did say he's like mentally Yeah. a kid. Yeah. It's odd to have him, and Annabeth to a sense, and it's not a, not a criticism to have, like, outsized <laughs> knowledge that maybe a kid wouldn't have. It's, like, very useful in the end. You are going on a quest with the two, like, most useful kids, certainly, in the camp. yeah, I mean, I guess it does work out really well for him. His me mentality was like, I'm going to bring my best friend because I feel bad that I ran away. And because I ran away, he may, like, never be able to do his lifelong dream of trying to find Pan. And this was him being like, come on, if we do this, they'll let you go out and search. Yeah. Yeah. And Annabeth What was was like, I'm going. yeah, too fucking bad. Yeah. What I loved about Grover being a satyr is this is strange. I like always wore long corduroy pants in high school. Corduroy, black, skinny jeans, whatever. But one of my friends always was like, Aaron, we don't know what could be under there. You could be a satyr for all we know. Your shoes look like hooves. And the whole time Oh my I was like, god. how the f for yeah that's the thing of like i think i talked to you about it a lot of like why were my high school friends so mean like Oh, hon <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah yeah like, why did i accept that but it was like such a specific thing that felt so weird but also like felt right to like kids with too much 
knowledge for their own good you know just like really smart kids running around being really fucking mean yeah no i mean I, same way with me looking back at middle school and being like these were all my friends we play games every night and all that we said the most foulest stuff yes and i look back and i go this is why i connected so much to this book because i'm mm-hmm. like i felt terrible all the time yeah um there were moments like senior year of high school being like looking at our friend group from a distance and being like oh we all like band together because we are so terrified of being alone we like share our most intimate and vulnerable secrets just so that when we are losing a hand of uno during lunch we can scream them at each other you know i'm glad i'm not a (laughs) child anymore you know no i can't imagine what it's like now but i mean maybe brutal time yeah i wonder if these books still do well right like yeah oh yeah I still connect with them from a nostalgic point of view, but I can see kids still growing up now talking to them mm-hmm. and still connecting with these characters oh, yeah. because of that whole sense. I mean, mm-hmm. aside from the whole fact of like, oh, hey, I fit that ADHD and dyslexia yeah. like to a T. I think there's a lot of people who read it and be like, I could, this sounds like a great place. Like, Yeah, you know, it's the ultimate dream to exactly. if you feel out of place to find a place designed for you. Absolutely. And I think it is it is easily my favorite thing about this book. And I, I will love Rick Riordan forever for it is that your disabilities are actually superpowers. I think yeah. that's I love that. I'm so glad that he put that into the world and gave it to children. Thank yeah. you, Rick. <laughs> Thank you, Uncle Rick. Um, So. You pinned Luke from the beginning. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Did you actually think he was working with Hades to get the bull? Did you see the whole double switcheroo happening? I don't think so. I think I do like that they're setting up the Kronos storyline because I, I think that is something that is infinitely interesting about Greek mythology is that gods have parents and it can keep kind of like going back there is a before like where the bible is like no day one nothing yeah day two something what happened before don't worry about it because i think it adds interesting layers that like necessarily christianity doesn't really get into of like what is the relationship between like child and parent and how does that play when you have all this power so points to that I don't think I saw the chronos of it coming, but I like respected him and I'm interested in it. I think I was like disappointed a little bit in the, I felt with Hades and I think maybe they start to change this near the end. It's mostly in the setup, but that there is like good versus evil. Hades bad. Hades down in the ground, like father of Hitler, you know, World War II, all that, all that bad is that guy, the end. bad which felt a little reductive to me especially like and maybe this is like a little bit too much for children but like death is not an evil thing it's a natural thing it's just another part of life i think they they dive more into that in the future because i i do think by by the end of it they do have like hades being like look this is just my job yeah i don't absolutely they like are definitely planting the seeds of that from the first book there's like this element of like all really anyone here wants is like a little bit of attention to be treated as an individual rather than just a mass absolutely i mean Ares has that same thing that's why he was with chronos mm-hmm. is he's like well first off god of war yes he wants war but also at certain points he's like i feel athena also being a god of war. Mm-hmm. he's like i'm going over here to prop up chronos and later in the series it's not just Ares who mm-hmm. sides with the tie-ins in terms of god v tie-ins you know yeah and it, it really does that whole thing of like hey being neglected and being like put in this box or being you know pushed aside because you're not zeus because mm-hmm. like you're not one of the 12 right 
really does paint a it, it leaves a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths and you yeah. see how that affects people and like i know we're only talking about the first book but That's okay. you know you, you see that with like some of the minor gods who like they have kids too and their kids if they get claimed by them you know right if they find out they feel like they're put on a lower tier right like obviously mm -hmm. it doesn't help that percy's viewed as like one of the big three and yes yeah. he's super powerful and like you know as the main character thank gods he is but yeah. it's tough if you're a normal camper at camp and you're like oh you know my parent is hypno yeah uh, you know the god of sleep or you know hestia like we even said where it's like they're not as important it's like well if i was with chrono's side i would be viewed at an equal level as opposed to big three everyone else yeah and then me just because of who my parent is it's, mm -hmm. it's tough and it's sort of like an interesting take on classism yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I respect that definitely from a writing perspective of like, not only do you have a chosen one in this book, but you also have a lot of discussion of like, what does it feel like to not be that chosen one? Absolutely. So talking about the first book, you know, mm -hmm. they made the movie. Not great. We don't talk about it. Yes. The new series is about mm -hmm. to come out with Rick Riordan being a key part of it. Mm -hmm. And I know you watched, uh, when you talked about the summer I turned pretty, you've seen some of the show for that as well, right? No, I had just seen okay. like trailer and the same for this one. I like, I watched the trailer and threw out a, a threw out just because like, I did this as a reader as a kid. I think this is like being a an entertainment person. You have to yeah. cast it in your head. So I was 100%. looking at like who was who was it and who is it now? And yeah, Jason Matsukas is Dionysus. It's like, yeah, good good yeah, job casting. Hundred percent. You're like, you know what? That makes couldn't sense. be anyone else. <laughs> the original movie had Nathan Fillion was Hermes and he like wore <laughs> like a UPS jumpsuit basically and it, it felt weird. Yeah, I mean, like Nathan Fillion feels like I mean that that was his era, you know. He was a I was hot about commodity. Two thousand ten ish, right? Like yeah. two thousand eleven or something. It was like peak castle era. <laughs> yeah, but like not the not the right character. That you could see, I could see that as like any anyone else. I could see it as like any, anyone else <laughs> besides Hermes, like maybe Zeus. Oh. So first time reading it, though, were there any other thoughts I came across? Because like, like I said, this book and this series as a whole is mm -hmm. near and dear to my heart. And it's still oh, yeah. like it's geared towards kids. And I can like read it now looking back and be like, this is still probably like a bit under my like this analogy is a bit under my level. But I still mm -hmm. like I love it. Yeah, you know? whatever works, right? Like whatever emotionally gets you through the the terrors of childhood and feel seen and heard and not alone I think like that is the promise of a lot of these books is that you are not alone and then yet in the like in the text of it finding out how lonely like you can't escape the loneliness I'm so sorry that's part of life <laughs> the one thing is like you're lonely because like oh you're an outsider you find a found family and then you're lonely because your parents never around yeah it's almost like you have just a giant daycare for divorced kids and I'm mm -hmm. like, you know what? Was I a divorced kid? No. But based on my relationships with my parents, yeah. I'm like, I could definitely connect with that 100%. Yeah. And it's just, it's so fascinating. And I also love that it's written from Percy's point of view. You talked mm -hmm. about Rick used to be, he was an English teacher for a long time. Like, I think he was a middle school English teacher mm -hmm. before he, he stopped to like write these books full time. And it, it comes from a place where it seems very genuine the point of view oh, does yeah. come off as how a kid would view it and i think that really connects with the the tone of percy you know his his point of view his wants his needs and as like a kid reading it you're like this kid's me mm -hmm. like 
maybe Percy did write this. Yeah. Like, that's the whole thing. And in the Kane Chronicles, not to jump to a different theory. Yeah, okay. It, it opens with, this is a recording I found. Some of the transcriptions may be different. And this mm-hmm. one was, this book was dropped off to me about Percy's life. Ooh. So it's like, Rick was told the story from Percy mm-hmm. and he just like transcribed it or he just put it into print. And I always love that because I'm like, it feels so genuine. It, yeah. it comes from such a wholesome place. Yeah. And I noticed that in the acknowledgements for this book, Riordan lists out like all of the middle school students who were his beta testers and who read the book first and gave feedback. Yeah. And I was like, that's just a good dude. That's just a good person, <laughs> you know? And I think yeah. that also comes across in the text of just like, it is written with a lot of love, like for a parent to an individual child, but also like from a teacher to children at large. I really respected that. Yeah, and I mean, the wholesomeness, like like I said, the community and like a lot of the readers call him Uncle Rick because they mm-hmm. view him as like a family member. And with all the, we compared it to Harry Potter, with all the you know JK issues coming up about yeah. like her personal morals, there's a whole comparison with Rick where in earlier books is like, Rick, this was stereotypical or these characters came off as XYZ. And a lot of his responses to that feedback is, okay, thank you so much. Yeah. And then in the next book, it's like more diversity, more inclusion. And like, this was still 2005 and like, these are kids, kids, but like when they're like hitting the age of 16, 17, you know, the characters start to date and all that. And like, he dives in the idea of like being basically an orphan and then also figuring out you're gay and like all these other things. So I, I think that the, the tone and the, the point of view of Percy and like how wholesome it feels mm-hmm. stays true throughout the entire series. That's good. And I think it's definitely like he is definitely writing to the kids who feel abandoned. And there is this real sense of like, you you have a place. And that's, I think that must be so special and so just important. And, and I assume like why it resonated with you and why it 100%. continues to resonate. Yeah. Percy is only the focal point in this series and mm-hmm. he, in the not counting spinoffs, is also one of the lead characters in the Heroes of Olympus series. But there was an announcement, I had not to date when we're recording this, but like no, this is okay. October of 2023. Less than a month ago, he did a um, a book talk where he talked about the next series, which will focus on Percy again. Everyone's so excited because like, not only like we love the universe, but like, mm-hmm. this is our guy. This is yeah. us growing up. Like we are older and the last, you know, it's great that you know, he continues to write for it. And as Percy runs into more difficult real slash fictional obstacles, it relates more to like the kids who are still reading it. Mm -hmm. And it just, it paces so well. And even though he's still such a kid in this book, you still see like him maturing a little bit, Mm -hmm. him growing. Does he still make foolish kid things? Yeah, he's 12. Of course, yeah. He's 12. 12. (laughs) Come a little bit slack. Yeah. So you said out of the characters, Mm-hmm. Who would you say you connected with the most? I think, like, probably if I had been a kid, I, I'm an Annabeth. Like, absolutely. 100%. Bossy. Yeah. Like, we have things to do, sir. Why aren't we doing them? <laughs> I'm still like that. I, like, I, to this day, I probably said this to you at some point in college of, like, listen, if someone has to be the bitch to get things done, let me do it. Like, like oh, 100%. <laughs> yeah that's why I I wanted to ask how did you how did you receive their description of LA now having lived here for a while oh my gosh so you know (laughs) I've reread the series a fair amount of times but not since I moved out here it was interesting reading it and then like listening to the audiobook because I jumped back and forth and the way it's delivered um in the audiobook is they're like 
well, hell's in LA. Where else would it be? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> what a is... New Yorker. <laughs> <laughs> what a New Yorker. But also I'm like, is he wrong? <laughs> yeah, I think it's like, you gotta, you gotta take all of LA. Like it's got yeah. its good parts and it's got its bad parts. And I think that is a distinction between LA people and New York people. New York people will be like, no slander. You can't slander my city. I will accept no criticism. And LA people are like, yep, some of it sucks. <laughs> a lot of it sucks yeah yeah it's so funny because my vast knowledge of new york is because <laughs> of this series yeah i mean later books too but i i told you this and the movie's out now so like i worked on the movie miranda's victim last year and we had to deliver drives to long island <laughs> so my only time i've ever been in new york really is driving to long island at two in the morning Having to pay a twenty-five dollar toll, somehow being stuck in traffic still at two in the morning. At two in the morning, and it's two lane street, and someone stops, and I go, "Oh, I guess you know, I'm not from here. It must be like rule of the lo- the lane. Like, hey, if you gotta pull, like get someone get out, you go in the right lane, and you do that. So then I go in the left lane, and go around them, and I go up to the next lane. Someone's doing that in the left lane. I go, "All right, now what are we doing? Mm-hmm. It's two lanes. We can't just keep stopping. It's just it's utter madness." And I I did not enjoy the city. <laughs> No, but yeah. I, I think to me, that's how I view New York. And I'm sure everyone, every time I tell that to someone in New York, they're like, no, 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 no. But if, if, you, yeah, if, if you didn't have a car, if you just, if you walked, if you took the subway, yeah, you, you, would, get it. you would understand it. And I, you're right though. It's so interesting that they view <laughs> LA as that. You, you talked before you like how I do as well. Their whole idea of gods, they talk in the, when he first tell him gods are real. He goes, God? He goes, well, not the big G. That's a whole other conversation. But God's, you know, small G, they follow the West. And they talk about how, you know, obviously Mount Olympus is at the top of the Empire State Building and hell is in L.A. How did that feel? Like, I think to me, that was a really cool way to modernize Mm -hmm. what a lot of Greek mythology is. Because it's like, oh, if you go through the Sea of Monsters, through this strait, you will hit this place. You go here. This is where Mount Olympus is. This is where Athens is. And I feel mm-hmm. like they shifted that pretty well. And it made sense. Mm-hmm. I feel like it grounded the world in a very fictional place. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think he is very good at grafting on. And I think this probably being a teacher and especially an English and a history teacher of, of making things applicable to young kids and understanding what's going to hit for them and, and how to make it feel accurate. And I think like we talked about it being a road trip, I think love road trips I think this does a great job of it I think like it's also smart to to be like there are kids who are going to be reading it in Denver be like oh my god my city got a got a shout out and people reading it in Vegas and or kids reading it in Vegas be like oh my god I think that is is just a smart thing to be able to to reach we have such marketing brains now (laughs) I was gonna say talking talking about marketing brain I was gonna talk about the storytelling brain the way he he does shift everything to like the West and how we do on this road trip. As storytellers, you look and you go, oh, that closes so many holes. Mm-hmm. Like this one line being like, well, obviously it's because of this. You're like, oh, he definitely just he fixed it. Because I mean, within our own writing, when we wrote together, because mm-hmm. we wrote a, uh, how do you describe it? Like a, a murder mystery, sort of. A yeah. sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. We, yeah. we wrote a sexy teen murder mystery show. There you go. I think, I think yeah. sexy teen murder mystery. We did. We were told. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We were told make it sexy. You know? We were told make it sexy. So okay, it this sexy is cool. Weird. God, okay. I mean, I, these are our classmates, but whatever. Um, make them kiss. 
But while we were trying to outline that and write it, I know a lot of times we're like, okay, but why wouldn't this be a thing? How do we justify this? Especially because reading this after we spend so much time doing that and like other scripts where I'm like, all right, well, how do I make sure that this isn't a question? Like why make this make sense? Make it so people don't question the rules of the world. I thought he does such a good job of like that first chapter or two where he gets to camp being like, gods are real. Why? Well, this is why, you know, well, are they myths? You know, you're going to be a myth 2000 mm-hmm. years from now. Why is that any different from the gods? Like, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. I felt like from a storytelling perspective. Yeah. It was very impressive to look back on and be like, this was for children. And he left no room to question it. Yeah. And I think that's also like, having so many kids read it is probably like a great thing and I think also like speaking to the beauty of collaboration I think like writing that series there were so many things that like I wouldn't have seen or come up with that you pointed out or that like Adrian pointed out and I think that like I can't praise the the high points the like the the good things of um merits I can't praise the I'm a fucking writer. I can't <laughs> praise the merits of collaboration enough. And I think he gets that. And I think speaking about reading things as writers and the artistry and the craft, how do you as a writer feel about dream sequences? Because I gotta say oh, I fucking hate them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that is <laughs> I can't disagree with with you at all because I I view dream sequences the same way I view like overuse of flashbacks. Oh yeah. It felt like any time in class if someone like said, and then we're gonna have a dream sequence, I felt like I needed a spray bottle. Like, stop. No. (laughs) You're cheating. I felt felt that way with my uh one of the first shorts I wrote because I'm like, all right, he's gonna wake up and I'm like, why? Like looking back on it, I go, why? Why why does he have to wake up at this point? Like, why are we starting the story with him waking up? This is such a slow way to start it. Mm-hmm. But for dream sequences, it's like, oh, well, he needs to know a little bit about this. Yeah. How do we know a little bit about this? And it's like, I feel like we talked about Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. In the magical worlds, I feel like they use this device a lot, mm-hmm. sometimes too much, of being like, well, you have a dream. You're you're connected somehow. Yeah. And it's worse than the second Tracy Jackson book. <laughs> Because he has a connection to someone else. And you're like, oh, well, we got to see how they're doing. Let's jump to a dream sequence to get a little bit of cl- the whole thing. But Wait, separately. Yes. I know we've talked Dimension 20. I'm watching Misfits and Magic, which is their let's have American kids go to Hogwarts and point out all the fucking things that don't make sense. Yeah. I love that. Hold on. my I have to send my boyfriend a picture. Hold on. <laughs> of our shopping list. <laughs> He's calling Okay, I'm back. We got to get that shredded cheese, you know? Oh, I mean, you know me and cheese. <laughs> we got to get... Yeah, more than one thing on that list is cheese. All right. Good. As it should Good be. Good thing we're not lactose intolerant. Yeah. Although I might be. Well, I think out. we all are a little bit, maybe. You know? Agreed. Um, Agreed. Okay, so what were we saying right before? America collaboration. Yes, America... Dream sequences. Dream sequences. Yeah, I... I get why they're used, especially in this book, because it sort of adds into the mystery of, like, who's actually behind this. Like, Mm -hmm. if if he's behind this, why is he offering to give, you know, his mother back? I get why it's used. Mm -hmm. I appreciated in this book that he had a dream when they were in Vegas, and then he, like, forgot parts of the dream because of they were getting trapped in this eternal thing. I appreciated that, of, like, I had a dream, but then I 
forgot it and, and now it's coming from him. I felt like that I, re I really respected that I was like I'll let you get away with that one sure. I, I feel like it was very uh self-understanding of being like all right well <laughs> if he's gonna have these drinks we have to at least make it to where he has a dream but he doesn't remember it so I'm like all right you know what yeah. ground yourself a little bit and we don't talk about the movies but talking about vegas a lot of people view only two good scenes in those movies maybe yeah. three one of them being this is a pen where logan Lerman just like mm -hmm. where he questions why the hell he was throwing a pen the second one is where they're definitely just getting high in vegas uh, yeah. um <laughs> they they go in there okay. and yeah. i think it plays oh shoot gonna be bad i want to say it plays poker face but i'm not a hundred percent sure it's the lotus hotel and casino they go in there and in the book they really establish it well to them be like oh we're just having fun you know we're gambling people aren't questioning that 12 year olds are in here yeah, um yeah who cares uh, they ask someone they're like oh you know what day is it and they say a date they're like oh that feels weird and like what year and they're like 1960 or like something like that and they're like oh <laughs> this is bad but there's not many things that are redeeming about the movies, but that sequence <laughs> yeah. universally within the community is viewed as like, all right, we'll let that one live. That's yeah. fine. <laughs> Let's look at the other points in the, mm -hmm. oh, we didn't talk about Medusa at all. How did, <laughs> how did you think that, I mean, obviously it's a fight and, you know, mm -hmm. from like a kid's book, it was very interesting to read how that fight mm -hmm. turns out, but it does have a interesting description of like well she was wrong yeah and like a lot Which of times now yeah. we, a lot of times now i feel like a lot more people are talking about like well medusa has done mm -hmm. a lot of terrible things she has a whole you yeah. know emporium full of statues of people mm -hmm. she's frozen but like god's really did fuck her you know yeah. what i mean like I know that she's been sort of like lionized recently as like a, a symbol for victims of assault. A lot oh, of I didn't know that. Yeah, like well, so much of and I know like there's you know there's a, a wave of like Greek retelling novels, especially YA, that I think like the the epitome is like Song of Achilles, which is a phenomenal book. But there's one with Medusa that came out recently or fairly recently, and I think there is this movement of like a lot of things that this character does weren't done to her i think even the turning people to stone is like a thing done to her yeah. so that how, how much did that fucking suck you can't even look at anybody like i think like he to my memory like the medusa myth is a story about rape and while riordan doesn't have because it's a book for 12 year olds yeah. like still does a very good job sort of introducing that nuance i think like like we said like the book is setting up a lot it feels and not in a bad way it does feel unfinished it felt like we're there's much more to this world and we've only dipped a toe in well 100 i mean the book ends you know with the fight with luke and being like mm -hmm. i'm still out there and you're like oh sh well if he's still out there there's still stuff that's gonna happen mm -hmm. and you know not only that but he decides he wants to spend the school year with his mother mm -hmm. and but he's gonna go back to camp he has a yeah. place to return to he finally has i mean we all love sally mm -hmm. he loves his mother but he finally finds a home he finally finds a full family yeah. and like honestly if sally could be like in camp i don't yeah. think percy would ever leave 100%. No, I think like that decision is a hundred percent made because he just spent the whole book thinking she's dead. Like, oh, yeah. Although I did want to talk about summer camp. Like summer camp yeah. was huge to me. Like genuinely finding like I spent all of elementary school being like 
I'm going to have summer camp where my friend who actually likes me is going to be. So I'll put up with this bullshit of third grade to get to those 10 days of summer. I've heard this exact conversation because I was listening to all of required reading before this. And I want to say, Laura, I was about to say, in the summer I turned pretty, I think you talk about that as well. Yeah, Um, that important. Exactly. Well, but you did Girl Scouts all growing up. I believe you've spoken about that in, in detail. I've told you I did Boy Scouts a lot growing mm-hmm. up, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. So like every summer for a week, I would just be out there. I only did Boy Scouts until kind of freshman year of high school. I, mm-hmm. in middle school, like it really was like, oh, I can go camping. I can have like a place to be. But that turned into like my family and my place to be turned into band when I was in high yeah. school, right? Mm-hmm. I yeah. couldn't juggle both, but I was I was one away from top rank or one away from Eagle. Mm-hmm. Um, I just had to do the project and I didn't yeah. end up doing it. And like one of the merit badges, so it was fine. But point being, every summer I would go and just be out there for a week. And I relate so much to being like, I would love to just be out here. Yeah. Like not only just like being out in nature, which like we're both in LA now in the city. We don't get down as much. or as yeah. <laughs> But you'd be out there, whether it's like archery, whether it's this or that, whether it's just like, I once took like a sailing course and I was Ooh. just like, yeah, I was just small boat sailing. And like, I'm not rich. So I don't have a, I never had like a boat back God home. Goddamn, do we love boats. But goddamn, like <laughs> if, if I was a rich man, I would give myself a boat. <laughs> but apparently my boyfriend works for like business management, like the people yeah. who manage rich people's money. And he's like, don't buy a boat, rent, 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 rent a boat. Don't buy a boat, don't buy a boat. <laughs> what? <laughs> rent like a boat. <laughs> I want to find out why, but this feels like going too far off a tangent. To no, find I feel out like why. it's insurance and upkeep and like oh, housing okay, it, okay. I think. Yeah, that's it's fine. The, it's all the boat plus. Finances. I could see that. But yeah, no, summer camp was a big thing for me. And like, normally, like, I had a troop, right? So mm-hmm. you would go with the troop, the same guys. Um, But you could also go provisional, Provo, to in Florida, the big camp for summer camp was Camp Lenoche one of the bigger ones in the u.s so i would go there and basically you were like camp half-blood you were the box of misfit toys you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's basically like you want to go to camp for a week your troop might be going a week you can't go or like you want to go again you want to whatever it is right you want to remember mm-hmm. merit badges you want to be at summer camp for another yeah. week so you're just like bunking with random people you're meeting mm-hmm. new people for a week and like I met like friends for life there. There's yeah. so many people you would go and like go on all these adventures and you're like, I this is this is summer camp. Like mm-hmm. I am just with people I never met before doing yeah. this and not to tangent away, but did you see theater camp? I haven't yet. No. I, I think like I'm having this issue where I can't like going to see movies right now is really hard because I'm like, God, why didn't I audition for that? Or like, God, I'm that type. Or like, God, oh. this must have been so fucking fun to make and I miss working so oh, fucking 100%. Bad. I I can say that also you I think we've talked about this. You know I love Molly Gordon, who <laughs> co-wrote, co-directed, starred in theater camp i pitched her at one point for miranda's victim and mm-hmm. she wasn't available because she was making her director debut with theater camp i was like so close but i think you'd relate to it a lot and i think mm-hmm. it's that same sort of summer camp feel we're talking about where they go out there and they're like we are bonded yeah and there's something about like you just being like stuck with someone for a week in the woods even if it's like there's mess halls and all this other stuff which mm-hmm. there is at camp half blood like they talk about how like 
their extended family. Yeah. For Camp Half-Blood, which they loosely say extended family because, like, there's dating within there, but they're not mm-hmm. real family. It's a whole conversation. They really don't talk like, about the incest. Yeah. No, no, no. They talk about it <laughs> later books down the line where it's like, oh, back in door from Hephaestus, who, like, I I want you to read the other series at mm-hmm. some point or the rest of the books. Sure, we'll see yeah. if that happens. But you're like, oh, Beckendorf, love him to death. He's this big, burly guy from Hephaestus. Who's he dating? The camp counselor for Aphrodite. And everyone's like, what? It's like, they're so cute. They're so damn cute together. But then it's the whole talk of like, how does that work? It's like, your godly side doesn't count because like, they talk about it for uh, Athena. She doesn't Mm -hmm. actually sleep with them. She gets with people who are high intelligence and basically spawns a child. Mm -hmm. So it's like, it's like, not really... (laughs) This is a weird tangent go on. But yeah. their argument is like it's not really like incest or anything like that because yeah. they're not blood family. It's like it, if it was a brother in law. It doesn't count. Basically, it doesn't count. <laughs> it sounds terrible. It's like, like don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> that must have been their thing because it's like we can't introduce people who are not half bloods for them to date, for them yeah. to have relationships with. There so can't we're be like gonna... townies. Yeah. <laughs> they can't make it through the barrier. <laughs> And if they go out, they're going to die. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah, it's... I don't know how we got here. (laughs) But, yeah. I only have a couple other things, which are mostly, like, asides, which is, like, I love that there is a council of cloven elders. Like... Oh, yeah. I want to see that. Let me in. Kind of assholes. Council of cloven elders. They're all old heads, for the most part. I mean, Chiron and Mr. D are part of, Mm -hmm. like, the council, technically. Well, I guess they are elders, Yeah. I mean, yeah <laughs> it is in the name Aaron <laughs> <laughs> well it's a whole idea of like I mean in Grover's storyline is so fascinating mm-hmm. not to spoil stuff in the long run but his whole thing is like he said he wants to find Pan right mm-hmm. he wants to find Pan because their whole thing is that nature is disappearing yeah because there's like industrialization there's more talents coming up and like as someone who really loves nature and as someone who like yields bad for like all mm-hmm. the destroying of you know wilderness and like how much we're expanding it was wild to see that that analogy and that story yeah. like happen in a modern story even mm-hmm. if i read that like what middle schoolish so like i read that series like 2009 2010 ish i was like man this is terrible we need to fix it and then like here we are tracking taylor swift's jet emissions <laughs> yeah yeah and now she's uh yeah yeah that's a, that's a whole story that's a whole that's i can't get thing. into the taylor swift demographics of yeah, dating no. a football player because i have a yeah. lot of thoughts really trying to hit all those quadrants taylor get back to the original <laughs> i was country once you know really hitting middle america i loved the detail of grover playing so yesterday on yeah. the pan flute because i have been blasting that album this month Loved that, loved that. And the the continuing thunderclaps are genuinely very funny. Anytime that's that's some good comedy there. I will say there's moments where he'll be like, Man, Zeus, and then it thunders, and I'm like, You better watch what you say. Mm-hmm. He, he's watching. <laughs> and I just imagine because they don't they don't really show it at this yeah. point in the story. I imagine Zeus sitting out there being like, Better bring me back as a bolt. He goes, I swear to Zeus, and he goes, watch it mm-hmm. like it's <laughs> him leaning forward a little bit yeah he's like i dare you no you're right that's a great comedic moment i feel like i have some other ones oh this is a little thing mm-hmm. but i wrote down chapter nine the first seaweed brain it's such an iconic like nickname slash like taunt mm-hmm. from mm-hmm. annabeth to percy and it's it, it's kind of mean but at the same time it's like 
she is so smart and he is mm-hmm. technically a child of Poseidon and there's yeah. like a it's a budding rivalry sort of a little bit at this point in the story so I'm like I'll take it but like it as you know their friendship grows it kind mm-hmm. of becomes more endearing and I yeah you know, it was so interesting to see the first time it's utilized yeah and I think that is interesting to like there's romantic overtones obviously right like that's that's where the series goes yeah it's very established in this one that mm-hmm. she has some feelings towards luke yeah um and that really was like what he's 17 mm-hmm. Did they, he was 17 or 19 i forget what they said his age but luke also was with annabeth and talia when that first right thing happened so like it's a lot of protector vibes and a lot of like mm-hmm. annabeth's been here longer than everyone and it's sort of like them versus the world for a little bit but now that percy's here she still has like some form of feelings towards luke and she's really trying to figure out what those are especially with an interesting uh, conflict set up for the second book yeah yeah second book everyone after this (laughs) of being like oh you know he really was like a day one for her Mm -hmm. like they they went into this together and now he's bad but she doesn't share the same viewpoints on him at all she is very adamantly Mm -hmm. against like no Cronus is not the answer so how do you how do you differentiate between your day one like that someone who you may or may not have feelings for who has in your mind such wrong opinion yeah and how do you having shared a past how do we both go down the same path and yet you end up at a different answer I think Mm -hmm. that must be really and I think that's also like that's a great question especially for childhood and as you're growing older but I think continues into adulthood yeah. yeah And then Percy shows up and, you know, it's someone who you butt heads with, but that you do kind of connect mm-hmm. really well with. You see an eye and eye, but then, you know, you end up with that kind of triangle and like, yeah. how does that push and pull of like, well, this person's so far away from me now, this one's closer. Like, not even just like a physical sense, but like a mentality sense. Yeah. You're right. I think this is a very interesting place for her to grow from. The only thing I really haven't touched on is like memorable teachers. Like, oh, um... yeah. I don't think I started reading in her class, but mm-hmm. I had this teacher named Mrs. Olson. And a little bit about me, I was tongue-tied as a kid, and mm-hmm. you'll still hear me, like, kind of slur my words sometimes. So I was in speech and, like, I was speech classes from, like, kindergarten to third grade, because mm-hmm. as a kid, I'll cough hard. And, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't, my tongue is stuck to the bottom of my mouth, basically. So fourth grade, I was kind of in the mentality of, like, oh, I'll just go through school, whatever. And I would go home, I'd play games, I- I'd read a ton of books, like, I would mm-hmm. read all the time. But, like, I was kind of doing okay-ish in school right you know they don't really grade you at the, i mean i don't know how they do it now because i feel like children have it really rough yeah. but fourth grade like third grade fourth grade before that it's sort of like ah, they're satisfactory and i would always hit satisfactory there's no abcs or whatever until i hit fourth grade where i was supposed to do a project on um native americans because florida it's a big part of our culture mm-hmm. um especially like or where i was in florida and like cop scouts boy scouts all that i was big into that so i did it but i I didn't read the project at all so i did a little diorama on like a game they would play instead of like what their home life was so they wanted you draw or like create like little uh hot so i got a terrible grade and basically my parents were like brand you're not allowed to play games anymore until you fix it i was like man they're like also you're only allowed to read like these books or like books that are assigned for class or something. I was like, this is the worst punishment. I can't entertain myself with games. That doesn't make sense. You're doing poorly in school. So we're going to take something academic away from you. Well, it basically was like, you can read, but you can only read once your work is done. 
that was basically it where it's like mm -hmm. no more just straight playing and like you can get done like you have to get this done we're cutting out games you can only read after your homework's done so i was like fine my grades turned 180 i started getting a's on everything my teacher's like Brandon, what happened? I'm like, I got in trouble because I wasn't trying. <laughs> so I had to start actually doing stuff. She's like, you weren't trying? I was like, no, why would I yeah. <laughs> Why would I try? So then she had me take like a, a test and I ended up getting put as like gifted, which was mm -hmm. like, that's a whole different conversation on whether oh, yeah. or not that was beneficial in the long run. I definitely mm -hmm. think a lot of my mental issues stem from oh, yeah. all that. Gifted but... four through 12. Exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly but i always loved her because not only did she she saw that in me as like something i could do but she always supported me back when i wasn't trying to she was so sweet she's retired now so i wish her the best but i'm i'm the oldest of four which right. we, we we've talked about but i had her my sibling underneath me had her my sibling underneath him had her and then she retired the year after and i'm like man she could not deal with one more of us i guess <laughs> three out of four and she was like i'm done but whenever i think of uh tyron i really think of like her because she she is that teacher who's like made such an impact on me yeah what about you for me it was my high school art history teacher okay and she became my photography teacher the next year and it was less like i was always very academically motivated because of my family but her name was Miss Heaton. She's still around. She's on my close friend story. Hey, she might be listening. I don't know. But she like saw, I had her class the year after I did my summer college program, which was the moment I realized like, oh, people are, friends are supposed to be nice, question mark. What? So that was a really like weird year for me. And she was the person who sort of said like, you don't have to take shit. Like you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. Like you are allowed to perceive yourself and explore yourself and other people's opinions are dog shit. And like she recommended me for this huge scholarship at our college. And like she, um, I think she like made me much more comfortable in myself and comfortable in discovering parts of myself. And that, like, enthusiasm should not be tamped down in any way, which I think is really funny because she is, like, seen as a very, like, stoic, grouchy, kind of hard-ass teacher. And yet, like, really was was very, like, Aaron, have fun. Do whatever. Like, calm the fuck down. Um, oh, I love that. Yeah, love to her. So, final question, I guess. Do you consider this required reading? A hundred percent. Yeah, I think I'm. It, the problem is it's the start of a series. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but right now it's really hard for me to jump into Brit like series. But I I think there's enough of finding your own purpose, enough of like you know inclusion, like we talked about, of just you know kids being kids and going through tough situations and like feeling that emotion accurately as a kid that like everyone should read at least once mm -hmm. i yeah. i think the original five books everyone should read at least once mm -hmm. i think every book is great but i do think the arcs that we see are um truly great like yes it's ya and i think mm -hmm. that ya kind of gets a bad nomenclature yeah for sure sometimes depending because of certain series mm -hmm. i feel like they get looked down on but i don't think that the message that gets put in them are any less significant yeah and you know with this book having a series with the original writer having a key part in it yeah coming out later this year i think everyone should read it before they watch it yeah or watch it i don't know i just i think that this world is so fascinating and everyone can learn something i think it's really a great book for this was a phrase in, in, in research for a different episode, but for reluctant readers, like this is a really good way to start 
a love of reading and literature and, and things like that. I think it's extremely accessible. And that voice is, is like you said, is very true and real. I like that. Yeah. And it's definitely for reluctant readers. Because, I mean, I think you probably have a lot of friends or a lot of people, too, who don't read as often anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, it took me a lot to get back into reading just because of how busy life was. Mm. You said you read a lot, especially when you were younger, and like I did as well. I have a whole bookcase of stuff next to me, but it's a book like this will get me back into reading, you know? Yeah. Reading for the last couple of years for me has become like really a balm and and something I really enjoy. And especially like at least my like mid-city has so many fucking little free libraries like on every other corner and I am just hoarding books like crazy and I fucking love it (laughs) I don't know I've read like I've stopped using Goodreads and started using this app called Storygraph and I have read like 70 books this year including audiobooks which I love like I just finished an audiobook an hour or two ago called um, Notes on an Execution which is really good it was it's goes through like the 24, 48 hours leading up to a serial killer's uh, execution, you know, on death row. And it works through his life story through the perspectives of women who knew him and interacted with him. It's very, very good. I mean, that sounds right up your alley, but that also sounds like a lot mentally. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Um, But also, yeah, I think it's the same thing that like, when we wrote that series in college, true crime was really like beginning as a, a cultural phenomenon, was like very in vogue. And I think it, it ends up with the same kind of question of being like, I'm just walking about my day, like doing dishes, walking the dog or whatever, and reading about something really fucking awful. Maybe yeah. there should be some introspection there. But I think like with that, it was very much about like seeing like the the end was very beautiful and that like these women who were victims the ability to be other things and to be more was taken away from them and it was um it's very well done but yeah a little bit a little bit much i'm waiting for they just put out another book in the wicked series kind of there's like the four wicked books and then they're they're like just kidding we're gonna have more and there's a trilogy that came after and so i'm waiting for that one to be available um because it just came out and i'm I'm ready for some you're gonna hate me i've never read a wicked book so they or is it a musical yeah well the musical is so different that's Um, what i hear but it's just yeah yeah the musical is very much like broadway trying to hit the four quadrants and the book in like the first chapter there is like incestuous puppet sex yeah (laughs) but like I really love it because I really love the Wizard of Oz the pacing in those books is fucked the pacing is bad there's in the first book there's this amazing scene where like the Wicked Witch of the West is a like college age she is like a modern day terrorist ready to like do some awful like suicide bomb shit and then the book is like and then she woke up from a coma seven years later and you're like i want to murder you (laughs) gregory you know how how we're talking about how bad dream sequences are i think that's up there too (laughs) yeah but then like the book has really really beautiful moments like the end of the second book the end of the fourth book like gasping tears just gorgeous moments but I love the Wizard of Oz so much that it it really resonates. And that's all I got. (laughs) Anything else to say? I'm glad that I got you finally read Lightning Thief. I will definitely send you, now that you've read the first book, a musical. um, Because it's on Spotify and it's a quick listen. It's not official, Mm -hmm. I believe, technically. But it's kind of been blessed. 
yeah. by by the creator. So yeah. we'll we'll count it. Even if the movie was official, he did come out and say he's never watched it. He, he goes, <laughs> "What movie?" <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. now that you've read the book, I want to be like, watch a movie and see how different it is. But like the whole idea is like, oh, there's twelve, and like he has to. The main quest is before he turns. You know, they haven't gotten the main quest yet. For this did they at the end of this book? Did they uh, say what the great prophecy Bronos? was. I yeah, don't. I don't no. think so. They talk about. I think that it's in like alluded book. to. Yeah, they allude to it, but basically, it's like ah, oh, twelve. The great prophecy is until you know this person turns sixteen. It's like oh wow, that clock is ticking. And then in the movie, they're like, yeah, he's Ooh. 18. He has yeah. until 21. Or he's 16 oh. until 21. Everyone's like, wait, but a lot of these moments are because they're so young. Yeah. They're, they're, they're stumbling through it. Or like these emotions make sense for a 12 year old, but not for a 16, 18 year old. Yeah. Anyway, that's all I have to say. I will definitely send you the musical. And I'm glad we did this for required. Yeah. Do you have anything to plug? Where can people find you? Do you want to be found? Yeah. Oh, do I want to be found? <laughs> I mean, that is very introspective that I do not know. Yeah, uh, people can find me. At, I wish I had a better name for my social. <laughs> I'm bginch4949 on, on Instagram. <laughs> That's really the only place. Or I did just work mm-hmm. on a movie called Miranda's Victim that is on all sorts of uh, video on demand, like iTunes, Google Play, Amazon Prime. And I have a movie hopefully coming out next year-ish that I don't think I can say the name of because I haven't officially been attached to it. So we'll see. Oh, yeah. Thanks for coming on. Of course. You know I'll do anything for you, Barry. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Join us next week with another SCAD grad, Katie Wilkerson, as we discuss Catcher in the Rye a book that has been on the list since I started the podcast. You can find me everywhere at Aaron R. Bowles. The R stands for rut row. And happy Halloween!